Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail, a meeting with rail shippers at a rail shipper conference. So it's just going to be person speaking rail today. And I'm that person. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. And today I'll talk a little bit about uh, what we're hearing from rail shippers. I'll talk a little bit about what uh, the intermodal executives are saying about the market and then talk about um, the drayage uh, situation on the West Coast with the higher standards for environmental um, friendliness with moving towards those electric trucks. So basically, it takes just taking a little bit of a tour of the rail coverage on the FreightWaves.com website, as well as the FreightWaves Sonar a data product. So next week, um, we'll be back with uh, Joanna Marsh, who does the writing for FreightWaves.com on the, on the topic of uh, the railroad industry. And I'm sure she'll have with us uh, plenty of anecdotes from uh, railroad shippers. And I'm sure they'll all be very, uh, you know, complimentary of rail service, um, you know, not getting, uh, you know, rates that are, that are too high, sort of all, all of those uh, good things. Uh, but for those uh, without the patience to wait another week and would like to hear, um, you know, anecdotes from a rail shipper, you can go back and listen to the show we did uh, last week, which was on uh, the topic of the chemical uh, shippers. We had uh, Chris Hahn, who was, or Chris John, I'm sorry, who was the president and CEO of the American Chemistry Council. So that's a uh, industry organization that represents a lot of the big chemical shippers in uh, North America, companies like DuPont and Dow Chemical that really don't have a modal option, uh, really sort of have to use the railroad. And you know, some of the takeaways for me from that discussion on the, the May 18th episode was that um, you know they es estimate about 75% of the shippers that are part of that American Chemistry Council, those chemical shippers are captive to just one railroad. And so that's kind of why they need um, you know the the STB, the government, to really um, you know ensure that there's enough uh, competition. And then they did their own study of rates, comparing the rates of when their uh, their shippers were captive to one railroad versus when there was a competition with the sec second railroad. They said over seven years, the um, wh where there was competition with another railroad, their rate rates went up about twenty four percent. On average, over a seven-year period, they said when there was a captive, the shippers were captive to just one railroad, the rates went up over 200%. So that is um, why the American Chemistry Council is pushing uh, the STB to enhance railway competition, ask them what uh, their preferred method for doing that was. And it was really re reciprocal switching, uh, which is a way to uh, get a, a, a solicit a, a competing quote. Uh, from a, another railroad on uh, areas of the network that are, are that are captive to one particular uh, railroad. So that's what the ACC, American Chemistry Council, is uh, is focused on. Uh, they also had uh, you know quite a lot to say about uh, the service levels. They said three quarters of their members. Uh, they do all these surveys with the members of the, with the chemical companies. They said three quarters of those serv those members are not seeing rail service. Back to where it was uh, pre-pandemic, you know, during this pandemic period, there's been all these you know, rail service issues. Um, rails blame that on not having the the, the, the people. And they also said that 30% of their members say that rail service has gotten worse in the second half of last year versus the first half of, of, of last year. Uh, so um, they're really trying to push for that service to improve and also for meaningful, what they consider meaningful data on the first mile and fast and, and final mile of uh, various rail moves. Uh, they sort of think that the um, sort of the traditional railroad uh, service metrics like 
velocity, terminal dwell, um, really less relevant uh, for the the, the shippers uh, specifically. So uh, I encourage everyone to go back and, and check that out um, on, the, on the podcasting website or tv.freightwaves.com. Uh, also related to uh, comments from a, a shipper, I'll go on to topic number two here, which um, is article that Joanna Marsh wrote up uh, today, actually. So uh, she writes up, uh, Navajo Transitional Energy is asking for an emergency order. Now, emergency orders don't happen very often, but they did happen uh, last year with um, Foster Farms, uh, where the STB ordered uh, uh, Union Pacific to deliver Foster Farms uh, animal feed, so they didn't have to euthanize the chickens. Navajo Transitional Energy Group, so this is an organization that is a, both a, a utility as well as a big exporter of thermal uh, coal. Um from, from Wyoming. They're moving thermal coal from Wyoming to British Columbia. I uh, presume that's uh, out of the, the port of Vancouver. Uh, and they're moving those to Asia, uh, Japan, and uh, uh, Korea. And the argument that they're making is that those commodities are competitive in a global marketplace and without the adequate rail service, that they will simply um, you know, lose that export opportunity to other um, producers in other uh, countries, and so uh, in, in turn, you know, hurts the the U.S. economy to not be able to get those 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 exports out there. And they've complained that the, the rail service is inadequate. They also want more clarity on the common carrier obligation. Um, you know, stating that the, the BNSF, which is the railroad that they're that they're using, um, it was not delivering uh, you know, adequate uh, service levels or um, you know, service levels that are reasonable, which is the way that the law is is, is written. And it's really kind of um, what makes the common carrier obligation, which says that a railroad has to to haul something that a shipper wants to wants to be to be moved. Um, yes, it has to do that in, a, in, a, in provide reasonable service. The question is always sort of what's reasonable using a reasonable person, you know, test, you know, BNSF, um, you know argues that, well, what's reasonable at one point is not reasonable at, at another point based on uh, whether there's a flood or, or adverse weather or, or even, you know, potentially something, I guess, like um, having a, a labor shortage throughout, uh, you know, various parts of the economy is something that could create a different reasonableness uh, standard. Um, but this, um, this shipper group, Navajo Transitional Energy Company, uh, wants more clarity on what is actually the common uh, you know, carrier you know, ob obligation? Uh, BNSF also says that um, you know, really that, that emergency orders should be reserved for true emergencies, and uh, this type of uh, situation does not uh, meet meet that threshold. So that's something that um, you know it'll be interesting to see if the the Service Transportation Board um, you know declares another emergency order. Uh, it does appear that the other coal companies are looking at this very closely. Uh, you know, you do wonder if, if they would have, um, in this, this company, Navajo Transitional Energy Company, would have uh, requested this emergency order in its April 14th filing if it was not for the Foster Farms uh, situation last year with, uh, with, with Union Pacific and, 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 and sort of, you know, the STB really taking an unusual step to, uh, to, to grant that, um, you know, emergency order. I'll move on to the next uh, topic, which is uh, an article that, that Todd Maiden wrote up. I thought this one was really helpful. So Todd, um, you know, listened to a presentation that was given by executives at, uh, at J.B. Hunt and Schneider. They did a panel at the Wolf uh, Conference, and I think the highlight here is that uh, intermodal executives see a lack of a green, lack of green shoots. Uh, they were really, um, you know, it's really expressed a lot of un uncertainty and demand uh, during their first quarter. Uh, you know, analyst calls, but uh, specifically Darren Field, um, the president of, of J.B. Hunt uh, Intermodal, 
uh, segment says, I don't, I don't have any green shoots for you this morning was, was his quote. Um, and so that this is a little bit of an update. They reported their, their earnings about, a, about a month ago. So really haven't seen it had much improvement, uh, in the past month. They do say that, say that some of their large retailers have drawn down inventories to desired levels. Um, but there isn't yet the demand to reload the distribution centers. That's something that we've heard, um, in the CPG coverage and retail coverage with Walmart and Target getting their inventory levels down to, um, you know, a, a level that they feel is, is, is more appropriate, but really sort of there's a, there's kind of a lack of, um, you know, catalyst to, you know, get demand going, uh, you know, further, uh, fr- from here. And then, uh, JB Hunt, uh, also talked about the bid compliance. That was something that they talked about, uh, during their, uh, first quarter analyst call. They said that the bid compliance is about in the 50%, uh, range. So that's, um, you know, shippers about 50% on meeting their, um, you know, commitments in terms of the, the, uh, capacity that they needed, basically the volume that they, uh, said that they were going to move. They're, they're only hitting about 50% of that. They said, what's something that's more normal is 80% in that 20 to 18 to 2019, uh, timeframe. So it really shows that the shippers, um, have had a hard time, uh, predicting, you know, how much they were going to, going to ship on, uh, on, on, you know, in the domestic, uh, intermodal, uh, segment. A couple other stats here. Uh, Schneider said that about 15% of its um, intermodal containers were in stacks and out of service. JB Hunt said something similar um, on its first quarter analyst call. As I said, about 17%. They did say there's about 15 to 20% excess uh, capacity in the domestic intermodal um, you know, industry uh, and have a sonar chart on domestic intermodal volume that uh, sort of illustrates what's uh, happening in the in the second quarter. And so what I've, what I've done there, that the white line, the white thick line is a 2023 volumes, uh, 2022 is in green. And uh, in the first uh, quarter, uh, intermodal volume, I have it down 4.6%, which was not uh, basically in line with what J.B. Hunt reported for its intermodal volume, down 5%. And so far in the second quarter to date, I have it down uh, 6.8% year over year. Those numbers do differ from the volume numbers that are reported by the Association of American Railroads in their weekly packet that they send out every Wednesday. Uh, the AAR data includes international intermodal volume in addition to domestic uh, intermodal volume, whereas uh, this chart, I'm just uh, doing it for domestic loaded uh, volume, which is really um, you know the, the primary market that, you know, coming like J.B. Hunt or Schneider or Hub Group or Knight Swift, all those companies uh, really participate um, you know, in a couple other quotes from uh, Todd's article, um, you know, Darren Field said it could take six to eight weeks following a labor agreement at the West Coast ports, uh, ports of LA and Long Beach, before there saw that there before there would be a meaningful pickup in uh, in demand. And um, one thing that was also interesting is he said that the freight uh, volume that was lost to the Gulf Coast. You know, we have seen all this um, you know market share gain at the smaller uh, port of Houston, small relative to, to LA, LA Long Beach. We've seen a market share, uh, you know, pick up there. We've seen a pick up in the East Coast ports. Darren Field, president of uh, JB Hunt um, Intermodal Division, um, says that volume may not come back to uh, to, to the West Coast. Um, you know, it can be also said uh, n- nothing new about um, the intermodal rates, um, but they did say that about two thirds of the the new rates agreed to this um, that they were agreed to during the bid season will be implemented by the end of the second quarter. Uh, have a chart on intermodal contract rates. Um, that's this is kind of what we're seeing in the market. So this is uh, coming from a company that processes transactions, and you see this in the the, the intermodal rates in 2023. That white line 
has been on a downward slope, um, you know, really after two consecutive years going from 2020, which is the, um, uh, the, the purple line. So that sort of rise throughout the year, 2021 in orange, that was up double digits. And in 2022, up double digits again. Now rates are going the other way. That makes a lot of sense, given that there was really sort of a lack of a peak season last fall. And I think the evidence is mounting that there's going to be a lack of a peak season you know, this fall, uh, based on um, you know, everything that's happening in the macro economy, in addition to what we're seeing in our ocean data, combined with just kind of us uh, trying to figure out what would be a positive, um, you know, catalyst for a freight, uh, you know, going forward. I think a lot of um, people have pinned that, that her, their hopes on that inventories would need to be replenished. Um, I think the issue there is really a lack of discretionary purchases um, you know, being made right now as consumers uh, continue to struggle with um, you know, high costs of living. Uh, Snyder also said that intermodal pricing, there's some for the over the road uh, rates. And uh, you know, one of the things, one of the, the sonar charts um, that, that sort of illustrates that is the intermodal savings rate, which that's actually come in some where now, um, you know, there it is. So overall, Intermodal savings rate is at 8.3%. Now, the way we calculate that is we take transactions that are processed in the same five-digit origin destination pairs that were processed both in the same week as uh, intermodal and truckload, and we include fuel surcharges in both of those modes because that's a big part of this, the savings. And so we're seeing overall 8.3%, so really at the low end of, of the historical range. And then that, that, um, that green line is for uh, just loads that go um, longer than uh, 1,200 miles. And so those are really less competitive. So there's always going to be a larger spread there with those longer haul um, you know, moves. But those ones that are really competitive for the truckload side, really that 8.3%, including fuel, uh, it, it really just doesn't seem like it's it's going to be a lot enough to convince a lot of shippers to use rail intermodal that are not using rail intermodal already. Um, and so that's one uh, kind of thing we're seeing in the marketplace is, um, you know, shippers are placing uh, service levels above uh, price in terms of how they're, you know, allocating resources, how they're um, sort of managing their supply chain. And a lot of the CPG companies, um, you know, really want to, they've, they've went through big uh, uh, supply chain disruptions the past few years. They don't want to that to happen again. Um, and so I think a lot of those are, are, are maybe opting for you know, truckload over rail intermodal, and it doesn't help rail intermodal's uh, volume case that uh, that that spread has declined because, as uh, you know, Schneider put it, that the the contract rates have fallen further in truckload than they have in intermodal. Truckload rates are higher than intermodal rates, so that's why I think you're seeing uh, you know some of that uh, so, you know some of that contraction. Uh, the next uh, topic I want to talk about um, was a really good article uh, that I just got finished uh, reading, uh, written by Rachel Premack on the electric truck regulations um, in the Southern California ports. So the title of this is California's latest environmental regulation may have unintended consequences for a uh, trucker. So this was really um, an in-depth article. Uh, she interviews a lot of uh, you know people before this article, including Matt Schrapp, who um, runs the Harbor Association on, on, the, on the West Coast. And as I'll take you through a few um, you know, highlights here. So the, the regulation as it stands, CARB, the California Air Resources Board, has required Dray fleets to buy only zero emissions trucks, basically electric trucks, starting January 1st, 2024. Uh, by the end of this year, Dray fleets are required to have all of their trucks registered in an online database so California can track uh, those trucks and then any new trucks um, you know, purchased after 
the first of next year will have to be those uh, electric trucks. The goal is by 2035, the drainage fleece much, must be entirely zero emissions. Um, it's easy to understand why um, they want to do this is because of all the, the smog and pollution in Southern California, which gives rise to a lot of respiratory issues, things like asthma um, and, and those types of, of, of respiratory you know, issues, particularly in, in, in children. There's, there's high incidence of, of juvenile um, asthma in, in Southern California. And I think we can all agree that everyone deserves to breathe uh, clean air. I think that the difficulty is with the execution of a plan like that, uh, given that there really isn't the, the recharging infrastructure and uh, given that it adds a lot of cost into the system. And typically you think of uh, drayage as being where uh, you know, truck trucks go to die after they've been in long haul service and really been run very hard. Um, really have maybe you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand miles on it. Maybe then they go to to, to drayage, which is an average of about a fifty mile um, length of haul uh, each time. So if the truck were to break down, um, you know, no people aren't getting stranded in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but at the same time, you know, doing that does make mean that. Um, you know, trucks get you know less fuel efficient and pollute more as they get older. Uh, you know, over the years, the, the the trucks have had to you know be subject to higher um, you know emissions uh, re requirements, and, and have really made it to the point where um, you know they they really the the, the latest diesel engines don't um, really spew a lot of uh, e emissions. So it really is going to add a lot of uh, cost into the into the into the system. Uh, Rachel has a a quote in there that uh, a new drayage truck that's electric. Would cost about one hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars, which was actually less than I was thinking. But that would be less um, by quite a bit than what an over-the-road electric truck would cost, because a drayage truck would be a day cab, so it would not have a sleeper, and it could potentially have a much smaller uh, battery than an electric truck that um, would go a longer, you know, length of of, of haul. Uh, so um, you know, tried to see whether you know if we could figure out a a price for a new diesel truck in, um, in, in drayage service. But what's difficult about that is, is new trucks are not usually purchased for drayage, uh, service. It tends to be older trucks kind of where the trucks, you know, go to, go to die. So you're kind of comparing that 185,000 for a new drayage truck versus, uh, a used truck, which may only be worth, um, I don't know, 30 or $40,000. Uh, you know, if, if that, depending on how many miles are, are, are on it. Um, and so, you know, sort of walking you through some of the um, expectations here, estimated that a thousand zero emissions trucks will come online by the end of 2024 um, and scaling up to 35,000 electric trucks by 2035. And that 1,000 zero electric trucks, um, you know, potentially could put some pressure on the uh, drayage uh, truck market in Southern California because it's estimated about 2,200 of the diesel trucks uh, will have to be retired. Um, you know, in that time, um, and really there's been a lot of pushback from, uh, you know, the industry, um, which, uh, according to Matt Schrapp, CEO of the Tr Harbor Trucking Association, it's not necessarily that they don't share that, um, objective of cleaning up the air and moving toward more efficient vehicles. It's just really a function of, um, you know, are, are is there going to be the charging infrastructure? Are those fleets that, you know, buy those, uh, pieces of equipment going to be uncompetitive because they have to buy more for, um, you know, pay more, more for the truck, and then that truck takes longer to refuel uh, versus a, a regular diesel truck. Um, there would be fewer uh, options for where that truck can be parked 
overnight. Uh, so, so all those things I think need to be, uh, you know, taken into account, um, including the weight of the batteries, which has always been one thing that, um, has been a detriment to, you know, potential, um, uh, move to electric trucks is because that takes away from the payload of the, um, you know, of, of the truck, uh, you think about a you know, truck sort of weighing out and gross vehicle weight 80,000 miles, and, you know, the, the batteries can be certain, uh, you know, thousands of miles, thousands of pounds, um, particularly if it's, if it's something that's moving longer haul that just takes right away, you know, directly from the, from the, from the payload. Um, you know, there is, there are some shippers and some work, some groups that want to increase the, um, you know, capacity of, of trucks and in interstate commerce. And that was one thing we heard about last week from the American chemistry council is the ship it act, which would potentially increase the, the weight limit for, uh, for, for trucks, um, that would make it easier to ship chemicals, uh, over the road. Um, but for, um, but, but for right now it's really that, that 80,000 pound, uh, mark. Um, so with that, that's really what I wanted to go over today. Um, as I said, we'll be back next week with uh, Joanna March for people speaking, uh, rail. And if anyone wants to sign up for the freight waves, uh, railroad newsletter, you can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash, uh, subscribe, or you can subscribe to the other, um, you know, the, the newsletter that I write, which is the stock out, oh, there's a picture of, uh, you know, jo Joanna, um, if you're missing her, um, and you can subscribe to the other one that I, um, write, which is the, um, the stock out, go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out or any of the other, uh, newsletters and that, that, that we put out and we have about 20 different, uh, podcasts. So with that, um, hope everyone has a great Memorial Day weekend.